welcome back to Phil at the Movies, and for the love of movies, this is a podcast dedicated to them. The good, the bad, everything in between. I try to talk about it all here, and once again, I want to thank you for tuning in. Got a very interesting show for you today, but first off, before I dive into the uh, the topics, uh, if you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us on Apple Podcast. And lastly, uh, please share this podcast with your family, your friends, anybody who you think might enjoy someone go on passionately about movies and his love for them. All right, with that, let me uh, let me begin first by saying today is June second. Uh, this podcast, this episode will be out on the third uh, tomorrow. But we are now in June, six months into this year. And looking back, what a year it has been for movies. I mean, hit after hit after hit, and we're only six months in. Now, there have been countless great films released over the first half of this year. There's going to be many more released in the coming uh, next half. But it is amazing to think about this year in general, because I know we've had the pandemic, we've had all the disruptions with COVID and questions of whether or not movie theaters would survive or endure. I think 2022 has put those questions to rest. Movie theaters are back. They are back better than ever. People are ready to go and experience films on the big screen again. And I don't care what kind of a, a setup you have in your in your house. There is nothing like going to the movie theater, getting your popcorn, getting your drink, and then sitting there in the dark and watching the story unfold before your very eyes on the big screen. No distractions, no phones going off, just you and the movie. There is nothing like it. The first time I went back to the movie theaters was actually at the start of this year, and the first film I saw was, in fact, Scream. And I cannot tell you what an experience that was, just to be there in the seat watching the movie. The movie was all right. I mean, I I enjoyed it, but... That's really irrelevant. The experience of being able to go back and not have to worry about streaming, not have to worry about buffering or anything, but just watching a movie on the big screen, that is the way it is meant to be. That's the way it should be. And I am so damn glad that movie theaters have made a comeback. You can see the box office receipts from last weekend with Top Gun Maverick. People are excited. People are ready. And I think it is going to be a fantastic summer for, the, for, for movies and throughout the rest of the year. Again, look at what we've had over the last six months. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Scream, as I mentioned. The Northman. Uh, the Northman um, Doctor Strange. And, of course, my personal, my personal favorite of the year, The Batman. Hit after hit after hit. And I think it's only going to continue. And so I thought before I, I dive into the, uh, the main topic today, I wanted to give a quick breakdown or, or a quick ranking, if you will, on my five favorite films of the year and then the five movies that I am most looking forward to for the rest of the year. So in no particular order, mind you, um, with, with, with one exception, but uh, I'll just list off five films that, have, that I think are the best in my favorite so far in 2022. So uh, one of them has to be The Northman. Brilliant visual movie, 
simple story from the standpoint, it, it's a revenge tale, but if you are a fan of Robert Eggers, this is a movie uh, to go see. I'm not sure where I rank it in comparison to his other films. It, it, there's a, it can easily be uh, made, the, made, made the case that this could fall into the second place spot. I, I really still enjoy uh, The Lighthouse. That, that is, I think, probably my favorite film uh, by him. But The North Man is great. It's a visual masterpiece. And again, if you haven't checked out any of his, his films, either The Lighthouse or The Witch or, or The North Man, please do so because this guy is a visual storyteller and the performances in this movie, holy, holy shit, powerhouse performances across the board. So that would be one of them. Uh, another film uh, that I would recommend that and I, I have enjoyed, I've watched it now twice, is Kimmy. This was released on HBO Max back in February, I believe, and it stars Zoe Kravitz. I wasn't sure how I thought about this film when I just saw the, the trailer and read the premise, because again, it's a very you know, sort of simple uh, thriller uh, movie, but Zoe Kravitz, she carries the picture. She is, she's engaging, she plays this uh, kind of a, I guess you would call her like a, um, a worker for a, a, a tech company where she uh, kind of deciphers uh, people's uh, questions or requests. You know, think of it like uh, Siri or, um, or Alexa, but in the movie there's this uh, device called Kimmy. And so she's kind of one of the researchers there, you know, checking for bugs and whatnot and, you know, make sure the, the algorithms or whatnot works. I'm, I'm butchering the explanation of it, but um, she ends up uh, overhearing a murder that happens, and it, the movie is set against the backdrop of, of the pandemic, and she's a germaphobe. She's also had a, a traumatic event happen in her past, and so all this sort of uh, conflates together, and she's sort of, you know, trying to, to you know, bring this, you know, matter uh, to the surface while also overcoming her own demons and past traumas and it's just a it's just a gripping performance i loved it i saw i've seen it twice now highly highly recommend it um so coming in at number uh, i guess would be number three now um everything everywhere all at once i i touched on this movie back uh, on the last episode and without question this is the best multiverse movie that has been released this year it is a it, it is the the little engine that could i mean this is a small budget um distributed by a24 which uh, i can't say enough good things about about that company but they're the uh they're uh, uh the company behind it michelle yo uh who is um the lead in the film she is it, it's masterful and the story itself is so timely it is so powerful it's relatable it's about love it's about family it is about life it truly is a movie about everything and in all these sort of you know multiverse and other worlds and other uh, dimensions and storylines that have been thrown out at us this one i think really sticks the landing and delivers a message that we all can understand we all can relate to and it, it's just a it's just a beautiful, beautiful film. I've seen it more times than I care to mention at this point. Highly recommend it, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Uh, the other, uh, let's see, this be number four now. The movie X. 
without question, this is the best horror slasher movie released so far this year, and frankly, of the last few years. It is a beautiful love letter to the slasher horror films of the mid to late 70s. There's a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes uh, to it, um, you know, kind of a uh, you know, little bit of Halloween even uh, in some places, but this is a gripping, thrilling, and yes, scary movie. I loved it. Highly recommend it. I'm stoked that there's a prequel uh, already uh, in, in the can and set to come out, I believe, next year. Thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Great, gripping story behind it, too. Uh, that's sometimes the knock on, on horror movies or, or slashers, that it's more spectacle over plot. This has spectacle and this has plot, and I highly, highly recommend it. Easily uh, my favorite horror film of the year and, and one of the best ones uh, put out in the last uh, few years uh, as well. And uh, lastly, uh, it, this is going to come as no surprise to anyone who's been listening to this podcast, but uh, without question, my favorite movie of the year, uh, second to none, is The Batman. Just, this is The Batman I have been waiting for. This is the Batman movie that we deserve, that we needed. Robert Pattinson is Batman, as far as I'm concerned. I hope he continues to play the character for a long time to come. Matt Reeves craft, crafted a brilliant psychological character study on this, on this, on, on Batman. This is a, a truly Batman-centric point of view story. And I am all about it. I'm stoked that we are getting a sequel, that there is going to be spinoffs, that this universe is continuing. Love this movie. Love this movie so much. And if you have not seen it, it is available on HBO Max. It is out on, on Blu-ray and, and 4K. So if you haven't had a chance to go see it, take it from me. Take it, take it from a Batman fan. It is worth it. Uh, so there's my, uh, my top five films of the year so far and looking ahead over the next few months I won't go into into specific details but I'm just going to list five films that I am beyond excited to see uh, number one would be Elvis uh, number two would be the black phone number three would be don't worry darling number four is knives out two and number five Halloween ends uh, sort of a, a, a smorgasbord of of different films and all of them uh, j just promised to be exciting, engaging, thrilling, and yes, damn good pieces of cinema. But uh, tell me what uh, your favorite films of the year have been so far. Now that we're at the halfway point, tell me uh, what you're most looking forward to. You can tweet me at Phil at the Movies or uh, on my personal handle at Phil Cast Movies, and I will put all that uh, all that information in the show notes. All right, so there's my little uh, my little. Midway point uh, thoughts on on the movies of 2022 and damn it this has been a fantastic year and it's only going to get better it just it, it's it's a wonderful time for cinema for the love of movies honest to God all right well let me dive into again uh, let me dive into today's uh, topic and I wanted to to go into a, a movie that is very near and dear to my heart, and, and that is Jaws. And I think this is probably a movie that almost everybody on the planet has seen, or if they have not seen the film in its entirety, 
it's so ingrained in the uh, in the in the pop cultural zeitgeist that you almost you know, have to be living under a rock to not uh, you know understand the 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 the, the meanings or the cues uh, related to Jaws. I mean, you can play the uh, the famous John Williams score, and everybody knows what that represents and what that symbolizes. But in in talking about Jaws today, uh, because this is easily one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it is my favorite movie by Steven Spielberg, and, and I mean that's saying something considering all the great works he has done. But for what was his second feature film, and, and for being so young when he made Jaws, I, I think it's a testament to to his uh, cinematic vision, his creativity. And, but also the impact and legacy of this film. Uh, again, he's done a lot of great and, and brilliant films, but, but Jaws is one that just, it hits all the right notes, and it is, in my view, a perfect movie. But uh, rather than kind of, you know, give a, a full-on review uh, and, and praise, <laughs> praise the greatness that is Jaws, I thought I might take this opportunity to compare and contrast Jaws the movie and Jaws the book. And and that's something that I, I find interesting when I, I've mentioned it to people in the past. I recently had a discussion with a friend of mine, and we were talking about you know movies and books and adaptations and whatnot, and he was unaware that Jaws had been a, a book. He, he thought uh, uh, the copy that I have... Um, at home was just a you know a, a movie adaptation, and I said no. Jaws was originally a novel uh, written by the late great Peter Benchley, and that was the blueprint for what became this movie. It was a huge uh, runaway bestseller uh, back in 1974, and it as I said paved the way for what became th uh, became this movie. But there's certainly the the making of Jaws, which I mean, that's uh, almost a movie in and of itself, and there's a number of great documentaries out there, including The Shark is, is uh, I think, Shark is Still Working, or The Shark is Working, uh, that kind of details the, the production dramas and highs and lows on the making of Jaws. Uh, it's really a fascinating tale. There's also the Jaws Log book by Carl Gottlieb, who was a screenwriter for the movie, as well as the uh, character of Meadows, uh, the reporter in the film, and it's a great kind of uh, you know day by day account of what went into the making of the movie. But it's sort of interesting because a lot of people will will say kind of in general, oh, when you translate a book to the movies, the book is always better. There's always that argument, you know, the book is superior to the movie. Jaws is one of those cases where uh, that 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 rule does not apply. Jaws, the movie, is far superior in my view, and I think that's probably a, a fair assessment across the board. It is a far better movie than a book, and I've been, I, I enjoyed the book. I tried to read it every summer. It's kind of my you know annual summer beach read. Uh, always love going back and rereading this book because again, I've seen the movie more times than I can than I can count and it's always fun to just come at the uh, the story with a, a different perspective and or you know reading it through a different perspective and then comparing it and contrasting it to the movie so I thought it might be interesting to kind of 
do the do kind of almost a breakdown on what went into the movie, you know, what was in the movie versus what was in the book, and and vice versa. So, on the on the on the whole, the movie and and the and the book share the same premise: great white shark terrorizing a small coastal community um, somewhere in in New England or along the coast. That that part is very true, and it stays uh, stays true from from the page to the screen. But where the the difference is with Jaws is in, uh, or I should say, in Jaws the book lies both in the details as well as in the characterizations for the actual storyline. Outside of the basic premise of you know the great white shark and it's you know terrorizing the town, much of the book is dedicated to subplot after subplot, and two notable uh, components of the book which did not make it to the screen. Uh, first involved Larry Vaughn, the mayor, uh, played by the late, great uh, Murray Hamilton in the movie. So in the the book, and it, or in the same way in the movie, there's this uh, friction between Brody and uh, the town government over whether or not to close the beaches. And in the movie, it is presented in a very streamlined fashion. It's basically the, the, the interest of the summer people, the interest of the businesses and the hotels and the restaurants to want to keep the beaches open and not you know, publicize that there's been a shark attack. That's right there. You get the whole uh, concern, the basic uh, uh, ideas behind the mayor, what his position is. Well, in the book, it is a much deeper and more complicated plot line. Uh, Larry Vaughn is uh, a real, he's a realtor in Amity, and that's only kind of hinted at in, in the movie, but in the book it's spelled out that, that in addition to being mayor, he's also a realtor. And, you know, he makes it seem that he's very concerned about his summer rentals and people not wanting to come to Amity if they think, you know, think there's a, a killer shark lurking the along the coast so there's that immediate friction but upon research and 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 discovery uh, it's revealed that uh, Vaughn is involved with the mafia and that it's really the mob and mob interests uh, that are keeping uh, Larry Vaughn from from you know siding with Brody and keeping the beaches closed and that's one of those situations where it really gets into the character's motivations in a much deeper way than on the screen. Uh, perfect uh, e example of just unnecessary material. There's enough exposition, there's enough uh, dialogue to take uh, the concerns of the hotels and then the restaurants and all of that and put that uh, kind of in a, like a, a small scene in the movie. You don't need to, to bog it down with okay, well, Larry's involved with the mayor, and he's got his whole his uh, hands being tied uh, by his uh, you know quote unquote bosses. Perfect, uh, perfect, uh, you know, uh, or I should say, unnecessary subplot, and I can see why it was taken out. Another one that is often talked about and is a major part of the book, and it has to do, of course, with the character of Hooper and uh, Ellen Brody, Brody's wife, is that. In the book, there is a much kind of bigger discussion about 
social statuses and uh, economic statuses and kind of Ellen Brody feeling lost uh, with her place in the world. She came from a very well-to-do family and has now you know, been married to, to Brody, who's the chief uh, of Amity, and she's kind of had to, you know, in, her, in, her, in her view, settle for someone kind of below her, her uh, you know, status in life. And Hooper comes into the scene, and it's revealed that he's the younger brother of a, of a guy that she dated when she was in college. And so they immediately hit it off, and Ellen and Hooper end up having an affair, which is a huge uh, plot point in the book, and it creates tension between Brody and Hooper. And at one point, uh, when Brody is, is suspicious of Hooper and Ellen's affair, he tries to strangle him on the dock. And it's, I mean, from the standpoint of, of the novel, of what you're reading in the story, it works. This would not have worked in the movie because it would have a bogged down the the plot it would have slowed everyone's uh development and and primary objective which was stopping the shark and it also would have made the characters unlikable and that's that's kind of a big through line that i i have found every time i've reread the book and then compared it to the movie is that the characters in the book are pretty unlikable. Quint is the only character that I felt was closest to uh, what we saw on the on the screen. Of course, you know Robert Shaw uh, deserves all the all the praise in the world because he really made this character come to life. And I, I still think it's a <laughs> it's a travesty that he wasn't at least nominated uh, for an Oscar because he really delivers one hell of a performance and it is memorable to this day. But um, insofar uh, as the novel is concerned, the characters are very unlikable. Uh, Brody and his wife are bickering all the time. There's a lot of passive-aggressive comments. Brody feeling down about himself because he isn't able to give his wife the life that she was accustomed to and that in some ways, you know, the the affair with Hooper was almost inevitable. You know, Hooper is very cocky in the book. He's very uh, arrogant, and uh, this is a, a major point uh, in the book. And it actually was at one point in the in the shooting script of the movie. But Hooper ends up dying in the book. The shark ends up killing him uh, when it attacks the cage. And you know, it's one of those situations where. If Hooper had died as originally intended in the script, and then if that had been filmed for the movie, it would have been gut-wrenching because Hooper is such a lovable, uh, funny character, and, and, and you, wanted, you wanted him to survive. And that was the genius of, of Steven Spielberg, to keep Hooper alive and have him pop up with Brody at the end, and as well as uh, some you know, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, drama with the whole filming of the shark uh, cage under underwater, but that's that's a whole that's a whole aside. But um, I have to say, like you know, going back each time when I reread that particular section, you know, not that you're you know necessarily glad that Hooper gets it, but you you don't feel anything for the character because he is so arrogant, and again, he's, he's cheating on uh, you know cheating with Brody's wife and then denying it. I mean, it's just. It's horrible. It's it's you know the the characters are like okay this is really this is not the movie. I mean it's one of these situations where 
I always say to people, you know, if they haven't read the book, I say, you know, get the movie out of your head because it is it is outside the basic premise and and the characters' names, totally different situation. And the characters, unfortunately, come across as very unlikable and shallow. Um, and, and it was funny. I remember reading somewhere that Steven Spielberg thought when he was you know, reading the book before they shot and made the movie, he wanted the shark to win because he thought the characters were so despicable. And I think, again, that goes to, you know, A, the genius of, of the casting of the film. I mean, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, Robert Shaw, and everybody around them uh, just are, are tailor-made to play those characters and really bring them to life. But it also shows you just the difference in what happens in a novel versus what happens uh, when you're actually making a movie. Characters can be flat, no, uh, no, no pun intended, um, and and kind of you know one-dimensional. But then you breathe life into them, you change motivation, you change situations, and it becomes almost entirely different characters. Uh, if they had made Jaws the book a, a straight adaptation of the movie, uh, into you know straight ad adaptation for the movie. I don't think Jaws would be as remembered as it is today because even though it was a it was a technological marvel at the time and it really it changed the way movies were made, changed the way movies were marketed, it was the first summer blockbuster, what really carries the film outside of the aesthetics and uh, the musical score uh, are the performances. You have three likable characters and we all can relate and we can all understand each of their motivation. We can identify with each one of these characters. Quint is the the courageous, gruff uh, fisherman who, who goes down swinging. Hooper is the uh, is is the funny, charismatic scientist who's who's you know hell bent on, on curiosity. And of course Brody is the everyman. He's sort of you know the audience's viewpoint into this world and, and you know the fact that he's afraid of water and, and has this whole whole fear of drowning, it really just builds his character up into something uh, all the better, of course, when the, the film reaches its climax, and, you know, Brody is all able to overcome his fear and, and, and defeat and destroy the shark, it's really a catharsis uh, for, for us, the audience, you know, we're, we're going on that journey, too, and that's something you don't get with the, move, uh, with the book, the book is very uh, one-dimensional, in the way that the characters are presented, and ultimately, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a I don't know, depressing's the right word, but the way Jaws ends, it's it's a it's a perfect movie. It's it's rousing. You're on your feet cheering. You know, Brody and Hooper swimming to shore at the end, and the shark's been blown up. I mean, it's a it's a perfect way to end a movie. It's a great crescendo. Uh, of everything that has been building up to that point, the book doesn't doesn't follow that beat at all. Another main difference, which again, thank God they didn't go this way, but in the book they go out on the orca multiple times and then come back at night, and in the movie they stay out at sea. Uh, they leave one day, they stay out, and then you know obviously they come back. Brody and Hooper come back um, on on. Uh, on barrels the following day, but there's no break, there's no uh, cut in the tension, and I think that was a wise call because it feels the danger feels less significant. If okay, well we're going out fishing, and while well, we didn't get the shark today, we'll come back tomorrow. 
I mean, perhaps more logically that might make, you know, stories, you know, might make sense. You know, you wouldn't maybe be out all night long, but from the standpoint of, of building tension, creating suspense, and having this uh, sort of foreboding sense of danger uh, lurking around them, it was a perfect call to make it all happen uh, in one continuous location versus breaking up the moment. I mean, I can only imagine how it would have been if after that first barrel chase, they're like, well, we've lost the shark, we're going in for the night, we'll try again tomorrow, would have completely undermined everything that had been building up to that point. So, and there's other moments, too. There's other points and, and characters that are either expanded on or or diminished uh, in some capacity. Uh, the character of Harry Meadows, played by Carl Gopley, as I mentioned, uh, has a much larger role in, in, the, in the book versus... In the movie, he's more of a, a small side character. Uh, there's different points like that. The movie makes uh, it clear that this is an island off the coast of New England, whereas in the book, uh, Amity is a small coastal town nestled maybe in New Jersey or somewhere uh, along the East Coast. Uh, again, just subtle differences uh, which sort of, again, make the story all that better. And perhaps the biggest difference uh, between Jaws the book and Jaws the movie and this I have to say was the the one thing that shocked me the most when I read it because again I like many people have you know saw Jaws first and then uh, found the book afterwards uh, or read the book afterwards and one of those things I was you know as I was reading it for the first time you know again you notice similar story beats similar uh, points, but it's a it's a different novel, it's a different story. It's a, it's expansive and 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 so forth. But you're getting it gets to the end. Okay, so Quint uh, at the end of the book uh, har stabs the shark with a harpoon after it 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 lands in the boat, and he ends up getting caught in the rope and then is dragged and drowned to his death as the shark swims away. So you know, slight deviation. Whereas in the movie. Uh, Quinn is, is eaten by the shark, but uh, in any event, you know, the orca is sinking into the into the ocean, and again, same uh, as in the movie, so far so good, so I think, okay, curious how this is going to go, because I had no uh, uh, frame of reference that the, that the book was an entirely different ending. It's not the uh, explosive, rousing ending that we see on screen, and finally, Brody is holding on to the mast, the boat's going down, going down, he's basically grabbing on to anything, and the shark, its dorsal fin breaks the surface, and it is coming closer and closer towards him, and, I mean, just from a moment of, of, of pure suspense, you're reading this, you're saying, oh my god, this is, you know, this is, this is, you're right on the edge of your seat, you're thinking, wow, what, what is going to happen here, I mean, obviously, you know, again, we've seen the movie, but I'm thinking, okay, this, you know, definitely some, you know, a lot of deviation here, but, you know, this is, this is cool, this is exciting, uh, it's, it's a little different, and the shark keeps swimming, keeps going, comes, coming closer, coming closer, and then Brody is almost, you know, ready to, you know, accept his fate, and thinks he's going to die, and so I'm thinking to myself, as I'm reading it, okay, what's going to happen, is like the Coast Guard going to come in, or, 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 or you know, is someone going to, you know, some, you know, a big, you know, outside event happen that'll stop the shark, how's this going to happen, well, uh, spoiler alert for those who have not read the book, uh, but the shark is swimming closer and closer to Brody, and then it just stops, it just stops, the shark stops moving, it sinks and spins to the to the bottom of the ocean and Brody 
ends up looking uh, underwater and watches it spin uh, further and further out of sight, and then it, it, it's gone. I mean, <laughs> talk about a, just a downer ending. Um, like I said, when I, when I read the book for the first time, I was like, okay, this is definitely different than the movie, which you understand, it, was, it came out before it, but, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I can, can swallow some of the changes, and, and, you know, okay, I'm not crazy about the, the whole affair with Hooper and, and, and Ellen Brody, but, you know, hey, this is the story, this is, this is what, what came first, so it makes sense, um, but I'm like, okay, th this was the ending of the book, the shark just drowns, basically, it's been stabbed, and it just finally, you know, succumbs to its wounds, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, you know, could you imagine you're going, you're watching Jaws, and that's the ending. The shark just sinks, it just dies. You know, like, get it, realistically, that's probably the, you know, that, that's the more logical ending. But, you know, we don't always go to the movies for something to be, quote-unquote, logical. You know, we, we, we want to be entertained. It's escapism, and you want an ending that is captivating and going to, you know, sorry to say it, you know, blow your mind. And that's what we get with the movie. And it's funny because, you know, in all the you know, different interviews and, and documentaries that have been made over the years, Steven Spielberg has always uh, gone back to his, his reason for doing the ending that he did, uh, much to the objection of the author, Peter Benchley. And it was that the audience is going to demand it. They want a, a big, explosive ending. You want the monster to go down. It's, it's you know, that sort of that primal nature. And... Again, you have to, to tip your hat to the genius of Spielberg because he knew how to make a movie and he knew how to end a movie. And it's funny because Peter Benchley was against the, the ending. He thought it was unrealistic. He didn't think it was, was plausible. He thought it was just a horrible way to end this story by having the shark explode after Brody shoots, it, uh, shoots the, uh, the, the air tank in its mouth. But he later said, no, that was the right ending. Steven Spielberg was right. And again, it just goes to show you, you can't always do a direct adaptation uh, straight from the source material. You have, to, you have to be creative. You have to have creative license. You have to make it your own. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Jaws is as much a creation of, of Peter Benchley as it is Steven Spielberg. I mean... Again, you have the blueprint, which is the book, but the movie takes that that blueprint and expands it and, and makes it into arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. And the fact that we are still talking about this movie almost 50 years later, and it has had such an impact on our culture. I mean, the fact that there is shark wheat is a testament to people's curiosity and fascination with sharks, thanks to Jaws. The fact that sharks are are largely a protective species. Again, thanks to people's fascination with sharks because of Jaws. I mean, th that's an incredible legacy. And, I mean, insofar as, as a summer blockbuster, the original summer blockbuster, it's fantastic entertainment. It's, it's a great popcorn movie, but it is also a great story. There's a lot of heart, and there's a lot of meaning, and it, there's great characterization. Uh, you know, Jaws, uh, you know, has is sometimes kind of brush or, you know, put together with, just, oh, it's just this you know, movie about a shark, or it's just, you know, a, a fun summer movie, and, and it's much, it's much more than that. This is a movie of, of, you know, man versus the beast, this is a movie of survival, this is a movie of endurance, 
And as I've said before many times on this on this show, it's damn good cinema. It's storytelling of, of the highest order. It's fantastical uh, cinematic uh, creativity from the filming, from the production design to the score. Again, I haven't even mentioned it, but the, the fact the shark didn't even work much of the filming, and they were forced to become creative with how they would show the shark, either through its point of view with the camera or having the barrels or, or having just, you know, the, the your own mind play tricks on you. You have John Williams' score. I mean, it, it's, it was the perfect storm uh, of all these creative talents fusing together to make a movie that is just so damn good. And, I, and I, again, it seems to be a, a phrase I fall back on uh, with, this, uh, with this show from time to time. But, I mean, I, I, I love this film. It, it, is a, it is a wonderful story. I never get bored when I watch it. It's one of those films I'll watch at least once a year, uh, maybe more. Uh, you know, you're flicking through TV and you see Jaws, immediately I have to stop. It's just a great it's a great movie. It's a timeless movie, and there have been a lot of uh, other shark movies that have that have followed Jaws over the years. None of them have topped it because Jaws had all those special ingredients that none of the other films, uh, including the sequels in the Jaws franchise, uh, have been able uh, to obtain. And I think that that says a lot about the original film. I'm glad in this era of remakes and reboots, this movie has been untouched. I hope to God that continues. Some movies are are, are meant to be timeless and, and, and be untouched. Jaws is one of those examples. And you know, God willing, God willing, that will continue. Um, uh, I, I suppose you know you could. Uh, you, you could do an adapt. You could do a direct adaptation of the book if you wanted to to change it up. But I mean that that I think would be just silly and pointless. Um, but any event, that's uh, that's the breakdown on Jaws the movie and Jaws the book. Uh, if you haven't read so and and you are kind of just fascinated about uh, the book itself, I I would recommend it. Like I said, I read it at least once once a year over the summer just because you know it's a quick fun read and it's nice to always you know sort of you know see what was and then obviously uh what 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 became jaws uh with the movie um just just a just a just a wonderful uh piece of of entertainment it really it it has endured and it will continue uh to endure uh as far as i'm concerned and you know now with with summer upon us it it, it makes us all the uh all the more ready to uh, to kind of get into that mindset. At least I know, I, at least I know I am. Uh, and, and Jaws is is one of those movies that just sort of defines summer. Uh, and, and I know we've all had those moments. We've all had those thoughts where we're at the beach or even you know <laughs> we're we're in a pool, and your mind starts to wander. You start to uh, it starts to play tricks on you, and you almost can hear. John Williams' epic, chilling score uh, in your subconscious, you know, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's it, it's so a part of our zeitgeist now that I, I it's hard to say of another film that, that really has kind of changed the landscape uh, like Jaws. It's really, it really is fascinating. I mean, of course, there have been other hit films and in, 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 in these you know, sort of cultural uh, you know, touchstones, but I mean, Jaws 
started it all. This, was, again, as I said, was the first summer blockbuster. It was the highest-grossing movie of all time. It made going. It was, as I said, it was one of the highest-grossing movies of all time. It started this whole idea of making, you know, going to the movies being an event. I mean, before Jaws, there was never these, you know, lines going around the street to go see the movie. I mean, this was, it changed everything. Marketing, uh, it changed uh, production. It's one of those, it's one of those, uh, one of those gems, if you will, in, in the story of, of, of Hollywood, in the story of movies. And it never gets old. As I said, it is a timeless, a timeless film. It's a timeless story and uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, kind of sharing my thoughts on it uh, with you today but uh, in any event uh, to tie it all together do check out the book if you are so inclined uh, it really is a fun fascinating uh, comparison read uh, to see you know what was and then uh, what ultimately is with the movie but uh, in any event that concludes uh, today's show as always want to thank you the listeners, for your support and uh, your uh, response to this show. This is a, a continued passion project of mine, and I, I'm so happy that there has been uh, just a great response from you, the listeners. It makes it all the more uh, worthwhile. And uh, lastly, just a quick plug, as I have been teasing it over the last few weeks, uh, next week I will be dropping the first episode of my spinoff podcast, uh, to this show called Gotham Cinema. First episode of this all-new show dedicated to all the Batman movies. Going to be reviewing them, going to be discussing them, going to be doing character analysis and um, uh, reviewing some of the unmade uh, Batman scripts over the years, really just tying together my love for everything that is Batman at the movies. So that will be dropping next week. Gotham Cinema, first item uh, on the agenda is... Batman 1966, going to go into the Batman movie as well as the uh, TV show starring Adam West. So if you are so inclined, if you haven't uh, had enough uh, Batman uh, uh, fanboying from me, then I would highly recommend you check out that show. You can follow it uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Gotham Cinema, and I will be, uh, I'll be blasting that out on my, uh, on my handles uh, beforehand. But in any event, that's all for right now. Hope all is well. Take care. Be, uh, be well, stay safe and go check out some movies. Uh, as I said at the start, this is, uh, this is a great time, uh, for the love of cinema. And, uh, we've had, uh, we've had some excellent films so far this year. It's only going to continue. So go out, go see some movies and have a good time until next time, guys. Thanks so much and have a good weekend.